Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. Woo! Good morning, peeps! I am Pastor Michelle, the lead pastor of First United Methodist Church here in downtown Bentonville. It's so great to see everyone on this lit morning. It is especially dope to welcome the newbies who are here with us today. We have this, it's your generation. We have this retro gift. I know we don't do a lot of writing these days, um, but we have this retro gift for you if you've joined us. It's a little notepad with a pen. All you have to do is sign into our little book there, and if this is your first time visiting, pick one up on your way out. Uh, 2008 is such a weird year. There's all this hope and change in the air around us at the same time that people are losing their jobs from the economic downturn. But at least we have our fam here at this church. And things here in Bentonville are banging. Can you believe 35,601 people live here now? Yeah. Walton is covered with traffic, and even though the housing boom has slowed a little, people are still moving here in record numbers. We know all that is due to Walmart. Between U.S. and international, they now have over 6,500 stores. And speaking of international, our denomination just held our general conference in Fort Worth, Texas, made up of Methodists from all over the world because we are a global church. Probably the most important thing we did was change the mission statement of our church from making disciples of Jesus Christ to making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. It's a real move to be inclusive of everyone and to recognize ministry everywhere. We are here to worship the God of all people. We are so hashtag blessed to get to worship here. Be sure to tweet that, fam. I haven't decided if I'm getting an iPod or a Zoom for my music yet, but when I do pick one, I know I will download some of the songs that we sing together this day. So let's praise the Lord. Let this worship be fire and let us pray. Lord, we call upon your Holy Spirit to bring your fire into this place. Make it be real. Make it be holy. Make it be all. Amen. Good morning. My name is Kristen Wells, and I'm the youth director for our 7th through 12th grade students. When Pastor Michelle asked me to share a millennial perspective and tie that into the book of Ezekiel, I was reminded about a conversation I had a couple years ago where someone asked me, how is it to minister to Gen Z students? How did I relate to them? And I think that was the first time in like my almost 10 years of ministry, that I realized that I was working with Gen Z students. (laughs) That I hadn't ever, in my whole time in ministry, worked with a group of students that saw the world exactly as I did, from the millennial perspective. Now, you'll get to hear about the Gen Z perspective from one of our FUMC students, Brooke Tilly, next week. But after that question was asked, I started to notice some of the gaps between the millennial and the Gen Z 
when my students began informing me that my skinny jeans were not in fashion anymore. And then I needed to start parting my hair down the middle. And then I started hearing words I didn't know, like sus and chuggy. And if you don't know the word chuggy, someone is probably calling you that behind your back. But I say all of this to say that while named generations may be a social construct, there is no denying that different life experiences, world events, things on the news, people we look up to, technology available to us, they all cause us to see the world differently. What differentiates a generation is the types of things they experience while they are growing up. Maybe everyone alive at the time technically experiences those things. But the events that happen when you are forming your worldview for the first time, those indicate how you will greet the events that happen to you over the course of your lifetime. As I began to dissect my millennial context, I realized a few things were true. Millennials are roughly classified as those born between 1981 and 1996 which means millennials were growing up during some big news events for their time. Elder millennials remember the Columbine shooting and the Oklahoma City bombings. But every millennial remembers the terrorist attack on 9-11. We know the world when someone who was merely dropping you off at the airport could walk you all the way to your gate. Security has changed. Millennials saw the stock market crash of 2008. Millennials are technology and digital natives. They rode the bus with their most prized possession, their iPod. Or if your parents were a little more economical, the iPod shuffle. <laughs> While Gen Zs have never known the world without social media, millennials have seen the entire social media stair step. You might be a millennial if you grew up hearing this sound. Man, that's like just brings you back, doesn't it? It's like the perfect mix of anxiety and like thrill. <clears throat> you might be a millennial if you knew the world before Google and your childhood is marked by dial-up internet, AOL Instant Messenger, and your top eight on MySpace. You might be a millennial if by the time you were a young adult, you had seen both the rise and fall of blockbuster video. You might be a millennial if you watched Netflix when it was a mail order DVD service and not a streaming platform. You might be a millennial if you could efficiently text message someone using T9 on your flip phone. You might be a millennial if you recently attended the Taylor Swift heiress tour Oh, lots of people did that, okay, but you might be a millennial if you did that and were completely dead the next morning, having stayed out past midnight. <laughs> this morning, we are going to be reading from Ezekiel, and I want to give you a little bit of context. One big mistake people make when reading the Bible is not understanding that while God's word is living and active for us today, it is written to and about a people of a very different generation people that have a very different life experience. The Jewish people that scripture is addressing are exiles during the Babylonian exile. 
know the backdrop of this experience when you hear the prophet Ezekiel encounter God in chapter 37, verses 1 through 14. We're going to be talking about the dry bones this morning, and as fitting as it is, my voice is kind of dry this morning, so I'm actually going to have my husband come up here and read our scripture this morning. The Lord's power overcame me, and while I was in the Lord's spirit, he led me out and set me down in the middle of a certain valley. It was full of bones. He led me through them all around, and I saw that there were a great many of them on the valley floor, and they were very dry. He asked me, human one, can these bones live again? I said, Lord God, only you know. He said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the Lord's word. The Lord God proclaims to these bones, I am about to put breath in you and you will live again. I will put sinews on you, place flesh on you and cover you with skin. When I put breath in you and you come to life, you will know that I am the Lord. I prophesied just as I was commanded. There was a great noise as I was prophesying, then a great quaking, and the bones came together bone by bone. When I looked, suddenly there were sinews on them. The flesh appeared, and then they were covered with skin, but there was still no breath in them. He said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, human one, say to the breath, the Lord God proclaims, come from the four winds, breath, breathe into these dead bodies and let them live. I prophesied just as he commanded me. When the breath entered them, they came to life and stood on their feet, an extraordinarily large company. He said to me, human one, these bones are the entire house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely finished. So now prophesy and say to them, the Lord God proclaims, I'm opening your graves. I will raise you up from your graves, my people, and I will bring you to Israel's fertile land. You will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you up from your graves, my people. I will put my breath in you and you will live. I will plant you on your fertile land, and you will know that I am the Lord. I've spoken, and I will do it. This is what the Lord says. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you. If you ask me what's the most millennial thing you've ever worn, I would not say skinny jeans or a baggy grandpa sweater. I would say a tiara, a tiara. Because the hallmark of being a millennial is this desire for significance. And what could set a person apart more than a tiara? You've never seen someone in a bejeweled crown and wondered if that person is important. But I will do you one better. The most millennial thing I have ever worn is not just a tiara. It is my emergency tiara. And you might be thinking, Kristen, what, what kind of emergency constitutes a tiara? Are we talking about like a costume emergency? And that's a solid guess. And yes, I did wear it to the Taylor Swift concert a few weekends ago when my husband Wesley and I dressed as Miss Americana and the Heartbreak Prince. But this emergency tiara, my mom gave that to me for my 21st birthday with a card that says this. 
Your birthday to-do list. One, get up ready to celebrate. Two, put on a tiara, an absolute must. Three, be amazing as always. Because she knew the importance of me feeling significant, not only on that day, but on the days that followed. Because the worst thing you can have, according to millennials, is low self-esteem. And it's a hard world out there. And we have got to be prepared. Okay? Now, theologically, on the bottom of this box are verses about the kingdom of God and how as a child of God, I am an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. And my mama told me that makes me a princess, a person that is highly regarded, significant. It's a sweet symbol, something that I can hold on to that reminds me that when I don't feel significant, when I don't feel like what I'm doing or who I am matters, God is with me. And it's a reminder that I am highly regarded by God. So when I'm having a bummer day or I'm having a really hard time crafting a sermon, which may or may not have been this week, the magic words in the Wells household are, get my tiara. Because sometimes I need to know that God remembers me, even when my life is falling apart. In our passage this morning, things have certainly fallen apart for the Israelites. When we look at the Ezekiel passage, he is trying to bring a message to a generation who is in exile, who was chosen by God and then seemingly abandoned. Their land, the temple, the place they have known God to dwell, they have lost it all. And in a very real sense, they have lost their faith. It sounds like they could use a few tiaras. In Ezekiel's vision, he is led to a valley of dry bones that exists as a symbol of the literal and figurative ruin of the Jewish people. This valley of dry bones symbolizes a literal deconstruction of human bodies, wasting away. A very real symbol of what the Jewish people have left. Their hearts, their spirits, they are so worn by what they have endured that they are wasting away. Not skin and bones. No, symbolically, just bones, dry bones, with no sign of life. Once the chosen people of God, the significant, now deconstructed. I don't know if you've heard the word deconstruction used in modern day, but millennials use it more than any other generation I know. It's this idea that you've been told how something was to be built, your political views, your faith, your self-care, your self-worth, and you come to find that your experience does not align very well with the things that you were told to be true. And if you think about how millennials grew up during 9-11, during the economic downturn, it makes sense why millennials so often deconstruct. They have watched society deconstruct around them from a very young age. Millennials often feel out of place. And as they feel out of place, they begin to question the things that they've always felt were true. One way we can best understand a generation is by looking at their pop culture. Wesley and I have been noodling on this as we've been thinking about this sermon series coming up. And we decided that if there's a movie 
that encompasses millennial culture. A cinematic marvel, really. You know it, you love it, it's Mean Girls. <laughs> Starring Lindsay Lohan and Rachel McAdams. And I'm gonna go ahead and say that if you haven't seen this movie, it's not too late. It is just too late to remain spoiler-free because I gave you about 20 years and that's the best I can do. This movie's main character is Katie Heron, a homeschooled teenager growing up in Africa who is transplanted into a suburban public school in the US. Katie is a naive 16-year-old with no concept of social hierarchies. When she is invited into the most elite clique in the school, known as the plastics, for their Barbie-like appearance and their lack of authenticity. The plastics, led by Regina George, are as superficial as they come, but Katie is excited to be recognized amongst them. To be a somebody, even if it means she has to be a sellout to do it. But Katie realizes that she's made a grave offense against the plastics when she falls for Regina's ex-boyfriend. Now the niceties are over and hijinks ensue as Katie and Regina are at odds, clawing their way to the top of the social ladder. And how will they know who made it? That depends on one thing. Who will get crowned Spring Fling Queen by the end of this movie? So this crown represents significance for these high schoolers, right? By the end of this movie, they have this come to Jesus moment where they realize they've been at each other's throats, trying to be chosen at the expense of themselves, wanting to be chosen even if it means they are plastic and inauthentic, masking who they are even when it wrecked them. And they realize their mistake, that they all have something to offer, and they should have leaned into that more. But the truth is, at the end of this movie, someone still gets the crown. And what do you do with that? Katie is crowned Spring Fling Queen. And in an unexpected turn of events, she takes the tiara off her head. And she begins to realize that this crown is not worth to her as much as she thought it would be. In fact, she realizes that the crown has been plastic the whole time. And she literally deconstructs the crown. Yeah, that's what it sounded like in the movie too. People were horrified. She begins to take this crown piece by piece, bit by bit, and give them to, to people one by one, handing them to classmates as a sign of their significance. In a sense, reconstructing the value in each of us. When Ezekiel is brought to the valley of the dry bones, God says, Ezekiel, can these bones live again? And Ezekiel, not wanting to offend God, says, uh, Lord, only you know. And God says, Ezekiel, tell these bones I will put breath in them. And Ezekiel speaks to the bones and tells them that God will put them back together and piece by piece, bone by bone, they're put back together. And God says, tell these bones that I will not only put them back together, but that I will put the breath of life in them. And bone by bone, flesh by flesh, breath by breath, God reconstructs. 
And as only God can, what is dead is brought to life. This vision from Ezekiel is God's sign to God's people that God has not forgotten them and their nation will be restored. Could it be that there are some here this morning who are feeling like dry bones? Once sure of their place in the world, now deconstructed, worn down, and out of place. Not sure if who they are or what they're doing matters. Not sure if they are significant. Older generations have maligned millennials as the everyone gets a trophy generation. Man, y'all have to feel special. Y'all have to feel important. Back in my day, we didn't have participation trophies. And maybe that's true. Maybe back in your day, they didn't have participation trophies. But church, I am asking you to have the courage to be the church, to meet people, millennial or not, in their deconstructed state. Because there are some of us here today that feel like they are in exile. There are some of us here today that feel out of place in the world we live in. Would you commit to doing your best to speak messages of hope into our lives like the prophet Ezekiel? Would you remind us that even when we feel forgotten by God, we are not? Would you remind us of our place at the table, our significance, even if you have to put a freaking tiara on our heads to do it? I believe that God wants to reconstruct us, to put this body back together, bone by bone, flesh by flesh, breath by breath. Would you be the church that provides encouragement for that journey? May it be so. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you would like to let us know you were here, follow the link below to connect. To participate in worship through giving, you can give online at fumcbentonville.org or on Venmo at fumcbentonville. FUMC Bentonville welcomes all. Because we believe the communion table is God's table, we invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin, economic station, and political ideology. We come together in action and outreach, aspiring to follow Jesus' example of radical hospitality, love, and grace as a transformative movement in our community. Please join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., both in person and on Facebook Live. All are welcome, and we'd love to have you with us. Grace and peace.